Thank you for listening to Hope Fellowship Church in Jaffrey, New Hampshire. We're currently going through a sermon series called I Am. For these next few weeks, Pastor Jordan will be looking to scripture to answer the question so many of us face, who is Jesus? For generations, people have been debating this question. Was he a good moral teacher? Was he a revolutionary? Was he a figment of history's imagination? Was he a liar, a lunatic, or Lord? John's Gospel records the identity of Jesus by examining his very words. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hopejaffrey.org. I did a great job of setting up the sermon for today. That was wonderful. As we look in the Gospel of John, if you would turn with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 10 today. Today's message is, I am the door. This is our, I think, fourth message in our series of the I Am series this summer, so be looking at this passage today, I am the door, and yet today is going to be very much of kind of a part one of part two. Next week, we're going to be looking at Jesus as I am the good shepherd, and these two messages today and next week are very much uh, attached together, for they're both found in John chapter 10. So this week, we'll be looking at the first half of John chapter 10. Next week, we'll be looking at the second part of John chapter 10, but they definitely overlapped. The shepherd imagery, the pastoral setting of this uh, parable and sorts, this teaching that Jesus has, uh, they, they overlaps in many different ways. So today with the sense of Jesus as the door is this message that we're looking at here. So turn with me to John 10 verse 1. Again, keep in mind, I'll mention it later, but if you were here last week, it will help kind of set up our thoughts for this week, although Brian did a masterful job of just helping us think through how we get to this point now. That there are many reactions to what Jesus is saying. Really this whole series about who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And when he comes before us and tells us who he is, there are many reactions to that. Some in which are embracing his identity. Others who are revolting against it. Some who are drawing near to him. Some who are casting out his brightness. Some who are trying to kill him. So which one are you? I guess is the, the front end application for us today. But as we start right into John 10, it comes right off the heels of Jesus healing a man who has been born blind and then addressing the Pharisees who are trying to accuse that man and accuse Jesus. Verse 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 1, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, and they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. 
Any of you feel like that sometimes? <laughs> I do not understand what you are saying. Well, hopefully, Jesus gives, is patient with us. <clears throat> he says in verse 7, Jesus again said to them, he tells it a different way. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but sheep, but the sheep did not listen to them. Verse 9 says, I am the door or the gate. Some of your translations might read. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And the very well-known verse, verse 10, the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Let us pray. Father, we come before your word today and we submit to your truth. We ask God that you would teach us, you would speak life into us, draw us to yourself today. There are many people in this room who are coming from a variety of backgrounds, a variety of differing burdens and challenges facing ahead of them this week. I pray God you'd use your truth and your word and your spirit would minister to their hearts today, it would encourage and equip them. Lord, and yet you would call many today who do not know you, who do not know who you really are, God, that you would be the door and the pathway to salvation for them this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today, John 10, I am the door. Again, this I am series, we look at a variety of differing names, a variety of different uh, concepts about who Jesus is, and these are all direct statements that Jesus says who he is. He is the one who is telling us who Jesus is. And he is, we've already looked at I am who I am, this Old Testament kind of way of looking at God's Yahweh. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And then today, I am the door, which then kind of leads us into next week, I am the good shepherd. There are differing ideas about this concept, but this idea of I am the door, it definitely opens up some things today that we're gonna be talking about that can be a little bit more challenging for us to swallow. There are sometimes, we were speaking about in our class this morning, that when Jesus speaks of himself being gentle and lowly, he's very empathetic and can relate with us. Our, our heart naturally gravitates towards that need. And yet when he says things like this, which are meant to divide and be very strong, it can elicit challenging feelings within us. And I, maybe I'm just speaking for myself as I study this this week. What does it mean that Jesus is the door? He says in some ways that Jesus is extremely exclusive. And yet, I hope today you're gonna be able to see that Jesus, though being exclusive in his way of salvation, Jesus is also extremely inclusive, meaning there is not a single person in this room that cannot come to Jesus. Often when I do a wedding, I'll, I'll say these words and I'll put my own name in it because I haven't said them in a while. I'll speak to the bride and groom who are looking at me and I'll say, Jordan, through God's enabling, do you take Jamie as your wife? Sorry, hon, I wasn't telling you we were doing this. We've already said these words. Do you take Jamie as your wife to join together as one in this God-ordained state of marriage? Do you promise to love her and to cherish her? And by forsaking all others, Devote yourself solely to Jamie, being faithful to her as long as you both shall live. And then I say as the groom, I do, right? The declaration of intent, 
where you declare here before all the, I'm going into the wedding here right now, before all these people to declare your intent to marry before God and these people and such. The statement of I do. And yet there is within every marriage ceremony a very exclusive nature to it, is it not? I am asking them to exclude all others and devote yourself solely to your wife. It's a statement of extraordinary exclusiveness and yet it is believing and it is actually living out that statement that makes for a, you could say, a happy marriage or a Christian marriage, a marriage in which it is when two people exclude all others and devote themselves solely to one another that we find this one flesh, this marriage that God has designed it to be. Because in true marriage, in a marriage that is fulfilling and giving and, and nourishing and cherishing and growing and a, a blessed marriage to be a part of, it is, it is, it is in a marriage when, when there is a, an exclusiveness to it where Jamie is not just a wife <laughs> among many others. It is that Jamie is my wife. You can say that about your spouse. I hope that is the goal. That is not just a thing, but the thing. Right? And maybe you've missed that in the sense today where we read Jesus says, I am the light, the bread. But today specifically, I am the door. And in that implication, it is hard enough. It is, I don't know. It's challenging for us to swallow the fact that Jesus is saying, I am not just a door. I am the door. That is not something that works really well with today's culture. (laughs) It can be called intolerant, a bigot. Jesus is exclusive, right? And it sometimes is hard for us to, 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 to sugarcoat this aspect of what Jesus is describing to us. And yet I believe a, a church that is willing to preach John 10 and say what Jesus says and to preach that truth, it, that is really a watershed moment for a church willing to stand on orthodox traditional doc, doctrine, willing to, to say the hard things at times and yet willing to call all people to repentance and provide salvation. It really speaks to even the sense of when we see a church in America and Christianity in the West, and many might even tell you that Christianity in the West is dying down or it is something that is an old hat kind of thing, God is dead, this kinds of ideas. And yet statistically, that's not true at all. We find even in the West that there are certain types of congregations that are growing The evangelical church that stands to orthodox traditional doctrine, which is very much of what John 10 is saying today, these kinds of churches are growing in great number. Tim Keller says, only evangelical Protestants among all religious bodies in the entire United States are converting more people than they are losing. Says in the United States and Europe, extremely liberal religious bodies will continue to lose members, statistically shown who are then swelling the numbers into the secular and the unaffiliated, while traditional Orthodox religions, traditional Protestant, uh, you could say, these are continuing to grow. Statistics are now predicting that the true decline in populations are actually among the secular and the strictly secular populations, and religious ones are on the rise. Religion is not going anywhere. 
And globally, Christian faith in Jesus is exploding in Asia and Africa. And so when we sometimes think to ourselves that here, the frozen chosen in New England, the least churched area of the country, we forget the global nature of the gospel and the true, where is the church actually growing? What actual churches are really drawing people to hear and what are people hungry for? And frankly, what we need to be careful of is, is this statement, Jesus is, I am the door. Because if we try to push that aside, and in a sense you could say the more inclusive we try to make Jesus, the more that we preach Jesus to be just one door among many other doors, and it makes no difference what door you choose, for they all equally go to the same. There are many paths up the same mountain to find the guru at the top. We'll all get there one day. Or it all comes out in the, watch, in the wash, and it matters not how straight the gate, it matters yada, yada, yada. We'll all find ourselves floating in the clouds. There's no afterlife anyways. This is just a positive choice in among many others that you make. The more we do that, the more you actually see the churches tend to die off. Jared Wilson says in his book, Unparalleled, that a Jesus who is all-inclusive and demands nothing of anyone and no all-forsaking allegiance to himself for salvation and threatens nothing of damnation or providing salvation, this commends no one to himself. He commends you, rather, to sit tight where you're at. And this Jesus would not win people to himself. He would not tell them that such a thing is necessary. This Jesus, someone who believes that Jesus will save them, even if they never believe and have no compulsion to believe, they receive assurance without faith. This is the universalist Jesus that cannot be found in the gospel of Jesus. New England churches that are dying and closing the doors offer to you a certain man-made version of Jesus that is more palatable for your modern cultural sensibilities. And this is the phrase that just hit me like a rock this week. The universalist Jesus is safe and safely ignored. The universalist Jesus is, is safe and safely ignored. See, Jesus is exclusive, yet Jesus is exclusive. Just like, like marriage, like we spoke about earlier. Devo forsaking all others and devoting yourself to one another. Yet, the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the beauty of the message of Jesus saying, I am the door, is the fact that Jesus is extraordinarily inclusive at the same time. Because he says, anyone. Anyone. And you know what I love doing as a preacher? I get to point the finger at you. <laughs> and I like to, you know, wag the finger. But I like doing it in phrases like this. Anyone. Because you know what that means? It means you. It means you guys in the back corner over there. It means you guys in the front who are sacrificing for the rest, sitting in the black hard chairs, and you people sitting all comfortable on the edges, okay, in those nice cushy chairs. You people too, right? Why? Because it's for you. There I go, pointing the finger. Right, that this idea, inclusiveness, there is this exclusivity and yet there is an inclusiveness that Jesus is saying, he is not a door, he is the door, yet there are no hoops to jump through. There's no background that you must have, there is no ethnicity that you must meet, there is no socioeconomic status that you must acquire, there is no ladder for you to climb, there is no past that is sullied your chance to have a future, there is none of that. 
fact is that we become to Jesus, when we come to him, we come to the cross and every single one of us is in the exact same boat. <laughs> That's the beauty of grace. That's the beauty of grace, that we all need Jesus. And yet Jesus welcomes us to step through the door to welcome you in, and as he opens the door, which is himself, the cross of Jesus Christ, he opens that door and he welcomes you into life. And this chapter is beautiful because we'll close with the concept that it is not just a normal life. He welcomes you into an abundant life. What is that? And we'll look at that here towards the end. And so John 10, verses one through 10 that we read earlier, As we said, the I am statements that lead us to this point. Jesus in chapter nine, in a most uh, very endearing way. I love chapter nine. I hope you enjoyed last week's message. If you didn't hear it, it's a a beautiful chapter. Jesus healing this man who was born blind. And just like Cale and the team was singing early, I didn't realize that you you had planned this, this I know, that song. I don't know everything, but this I know, right? Right? I'm almost starting to sing it for you, right? That Jesus is the redeemer, the Messiah. He's saying, I don't know everything because that's exactly what the blind man says in chapter nine. As the Pharisees interrogate the blind man, they're interrogating everybody because Jesus healed this man on a Sabbath by thereby in their mind breaking the law. Therefore, he could not be good. He must be bad. And so the guy's like, look, you guys are asking me all these questions. I don't know everything. I don't know your answers, but this I know, he says. I once was blind, but now I see. Remember last week we looked at amazing grace. That's the word he says in John 9, verse 25. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Then Jesus, like a wonderfully good shepherd who has a lost one, the 99 are safe, but the one has gone. Jesus comes back for that blind man as the Pharisees are kind of raking him over the coals. They've cast him out and they say, this guy is a, a sinner and doesn't deserve this. He's lying or whatever. Jesus comes back and finds the blind man, looks him in the eyes the eyes that now he can see from for the very first time in his life. And he says, hey, do you believe in me? And the guy's like, well, who who am I supposed to believe in again? He's like, well, you're looking at him, right? And so he says, believe in me. Do you believe? And he says, yes, Lord, verse 38, I believe. And he worshiped him. And then it's at that moment that Brian had mentioned earlier that there are many responses to the person of Jesus. There are many reactions. There are many people even in this room, as I am saying these things about who Jesus is, you are having an internal war in your soul. You are reacting to or against this message of Jesus, of who he is. And just like in this time, the religious leaders were presenting themselves in this place, as Jesus will talk about them as thieves and robbers, but, but they are presenting them in such a way where they ask kind of almost scoffingly, are we too blind? And Jesus answers them this question that are, are we also blind? And in verse 41, Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. What does he say? We looked at that next week, but that, that last week, but he's, he's ultimately saying, I, I have come to give sight to those who are blind. Everyone's blind, but not everyone knows they're blind. I have come to give sight to those who know they are blind. I have come to heal those who are sick. For as a great physician, I come to heal those who are in need of a physician, not those who don't think they're sick. There's a certain level of humility and repentance that is necessary here in order to be saved. For Jesus came to save sinners who are in need of forgiveness 
and need a savior to rescue them. And this is what he doubles down on in chapter 10. Right after saying that, right to the Pharisees, chapter 10, John splices this account here in John 10, and he says what? Truly, truly, I say to you, you Pharisees, you blind men, you people who are listening, you people in Jaffrey, New Hampshire, what do I say to you? Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And the gatekeeper opens it. He then goes on to describe a a very shepherding metaphor, a picture, to the point where even in verse six, right? The figure of speech that Jesus is using, they don't really understand what he's talking about, so he doubles down and says it again. He says it in a different way. It comes right off the heel of this, where ultimately we're left asking, well, who is it that we're going to follow? Who is it that we're listening to? Where is it that you can find salvation? Who is this Jesus? Who is it and how is it possible that he could say, I am the door? And so what we see here in the first six verses is the first sheepfold illustration he uses. Today we're looking at two sheepfolds. First six verses is the first sheepfold. Verses seven through 10 is the second sheepfold. First couple times I was studying this, I was getting confused, trying to figure out what in the world he's talking about. I felt like the guys in verse six, okay? And verse seven there. And so what, what it helps me is understand it in two different pictures, because that's what Jesus does. He gives one story and another story. The first story, the first sheepfold, is really he's asking them to come out. The second sheepfold, he's telling them to come in, okay? The first sheepfold, verses one through six, come out and follow me. The second one, come on in and find safety, protection, pasture, and satisfaction and abundant life, okay? So the first sheepfold. The way to describe this is is really learning the characters as well. Uh, Jesus is the great shepherd. Uh, We are the sheep, whether you like that or not. Sheep aren't necessarily the smartest kind of animals in the world, but uh, I think that describes us quite well, does it not? Okay. We are sheep. He is the shepherd. The, the thieves and robbers later on next week, I'll talk about there's a wolf involved here. Okay. There's more people who are coming to seek, steal, destroy, kill. There is danger, right? And there's a shepherd there's a gatekeeper. It seems to be the Holy Spirit or God in sorts welcoming and opening that door. And then there's the sheep who are hearing the voice of the shepherd. And so something helpful for me is to describe this first sheepfold, to have an image in your mind. If we understand the pastoral shepherding imagery there in the ancient Near East and in that time period, you have in that area very similar to something that would even exist here in New England. If you didn't know, but New England during the time period that sheep and sheep herding was a very popular, world-renowned even kind of industry, which led to the textile business and the mills and all these sorts of things of the merino wool that came from Spain. And I spent way too much time reading about this on the internet this week. So um, I won't bore you with all this stuff. But uh, the wool and the sheep um, uh, herding and being a shepherd and having massive amounts of sheep was extremely popular right here in this Monadnock region and spreading into Vermont and southern New Hampshire. And what what we have in these places as the livestock and other times would escape and get out is you would have in the center of every town or nearby in towns, you'd have what's called a town pound. 
Have you ever heard of this? You probably see this in your little towns. I live in a little town of Dublin, and uh, we have some pictures of it for you. Uh, this is the picture. It says the town pound that was built in the late 18th century. Estrayed animals were driven here. They were taken away by the owners after paying costs. And so they would be put into this next picture, which is a little bit of a picture of in Dublin, New Hampshire, near um, Dublin Lake, right off of 101. You can see this. You can see there's a stone walls and a little bit of a gate. I think we have a few other pictures. Not too large. It probably would have been even taller back then, as many of these stone walls tend to sink uh, over time. And then ultimately, this is what I want to have in your mind. This kind of sheepfold, where at night, shepherds in this time period, in Jesus's day, would bring their folds to the town at times, and many sheep, uh, many flocks would be all in one place for the night. And they would often bring them to places like this. The gate would be open. The sheep would go into one of these kind of stone-walled enclosures. There would often in the town centers be a place where a gatekeeper would keep and manage that as well. The shepherds would go away, get a rest for the night, and then in the morning they would come and they would go off to their next place. But the shepherd would come to that place and they would call out the sheep. And they would speak to the sheep, the sheep would answer their voice, and they would come out with each shepherd. And as the shepherd, the gatekeeper, would recognize who the right shepherds are, they would come to them and the sheep would follow them. And he would say to them, as Jesus says here, the sheep hear his voice, gatekeeper opens it, and he calls his own sheep by name, and what does he do? He leads them out. This is found in verse 3. He leads them out. Now, there are false shepherds and thieves and robbers who try to climb in over those side walls at night and steal the sheep away. And yet, true sheep that are know the good shepherd, they don't listen to those thieves. They don't listen. In fact, they flee from them, and they don't know the voice of strangers. They don't listen to those voices. And so the sheepfold, what is that sheepfold? What is this little enclosure describing? can be a variety of things, but one that I think is very helpful for me is this idea of the religious system at that time, keeping all the sheep together. For God has provided in Judaism, at that time, Jesus to come into Judaism and redeem it and call them out of that old covenant and into a new covenant that would be led, that would be founded, that would be, that would be set up and as their king and as their leader and as their shepherd, lead them into the new covenant, a new way of living. So Jesus is coming throughout this saying, a new kingdom is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. Follow me. I am the king. I am the door. I am the bread, right? And yet there are thieves coming in trying to steal others away to don't listen to that guy. Don't follow that shepherd. He is a false shepherd. This is what the Pharisees were doing on a regular, on a regular uh, manner. And they were doing in chapter 9 to that blind man. Don't listen to him. He's an evil person. Don't follow him. And so Jesus is saying many are trying to stop this work from happening. But their intention is only self-serving. They're not seeking their own. They're not seeking the good of the sheep. And Jesus, here the shepherd, he calls out. He calls out to his sheep. I love this. It says in a, a verse, really, they hear his voice, verse 3. The gatekeeper opens the sheep, hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. Isn't that awesome? There's this personal, personal sense of each shepherd. The, the shepherd knows your name. He knows who you are. He knows what kind of sheep you are, what you need. There is a personal relationship the sheep has with the shepherd. He knows your name. He calls you by name. Many could even speak into the sense of election 
which brings up different aspects of arguments or debates over Arminianism, Calvinism, these sorts of things. But yet, as we look at this, there is this initiation that God has and that he initiates this call. He comes to the sheep in the sheepfold and he calls them and says, come. This is very similar to this, uh, uh, Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons of Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. There's this calling that he puts upon the sheep. He calls them out. He adopts them into his flock. He welcomes them in this place. And yet, simultaneously, the sheep are choosing to follow him. They are answering the call. They are coming and following him. They listen to his voice. They know his voice. And they do not listen to the voice of a, sh- of a stranger. Look at verse four. When he brought out all his own, he goes before them. He leads them. The sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. They will flee from him for they do not know the voice of a stranger. Several years ago, a beloved former elder here at Hope Fellowship Church, his name is Mark Holombo. Many of you know him and actually loved him dearly as a friend. And, and Mark shared a prayer and share time like Brian did. And I can still remember it, him getting up here and speaking. And he shared, and he, sh- he shared a video, which I'm going to show in, two, in a minute here. He shared a video about this shepherd who calls out to these sheep. And uh, there are many people before him who are trying to call out to the sheep. They don't own the sheep. They're not the shepherd. They're all trying to call out to them. And the sheep don't listen to them. They're not going to come. But the good shepherd, when he steps up, the real shepherd, when he calls out, the sheep actually come. And I love it because it's a real world illustration of actuality of how this actually works. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you this quick video, and then we're going to keep moving on. And I hope it'll illustrate the point of how the sheep answer the voice of the shepherd, and they do not answer the voice of a stranger. I love that. I could have tried to explain that to you, but I think it's much easier for you to see it worked out. This personal relationship that we have with the shepherd, that they know his voice. And I love at the beginning where uh, they're all calling out, but then that shepherd stands up, and as soon as he says something, you hear, you see them from eating to looking up right away, right? And it's, it's like they see, they recognize, they're hearing, they're processing, then they come. You know, and I, it is why Jesus describes you and me as a sheep. We're so much like that. And when we hear the truth and we hear God's word and we hear the voice of the good shepherd, we know his voice. The spirit um, works within us to recognize the truth from error and to recognize the voice of God. He speaks to us. He knows our name. He sees you. And the question for us is, do you hear his voice? Are you listening for the voice of the shepherd? For I will say he is calling you today. He loves you. He desires to feed you, to care for you, to give you the water that you so thirst for, the bread that you're, you're hungering for, the satisfaction that you desire within your very soul. This is the good shepherd. He is the door as well, though. Look at these next verses, verses 7 through 10. This is the second sheepfold. The first, remember, he's calling them out. Now, the second sheepfold, he's going to be saying, hey, come on, come on in. Come on in. And so, verses 7 through 10, Jesus said to them, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. This is when he describes it differently. People weren't understanding, so he says, let me simplify it. I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers of the sheep. Do not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This second sheepfold there. Jesus then puts himself not in the realm of the shepherd and a gatekeeper and a sheepfold, but to be the literal door of the sheepfold and for the sheep. So he puts himself more into this personal relation, this personal manner of an inanimate object, just a door, just a gate. He says, no, that gate, that's me. The very entrance and exit into safety and pasture and life abundantly is in and through me. Again, he harps on the idea that thieves and robbers will come. There will be danger in many other places. There will be false teachers leading to lead you astray. There will be sheep in, uh, there will be wolves in sheep clothing. Be aware. There are Pharisees around you seeking to keep you under their law and push down under their thumb and control. But you come out of that sheepfold and I will lead you to greener pastures. I will lead you and allow you to lie down by green pastures and beside still waters. And so he says, I am the door. Look at verse nine in particular. I just wanna break this down for you until we kind of come to this concluding idea. The, the, the idea here is first you step into this door. Look at it. I am the door, verse nine, if anyone enters by me. If anyone enters, this, this coming into, we come into Christ. There's a big theological concept called the union with Christ. We won't get into that today, but we find union with Christ, that we are in Christ. You'll see that little phrase repeated throughout the New Testament all over the place. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. This is that idea. We step into Christ, and Christ in many ways through his spirit steps into us. We think of it in a very simplistic manner where we ask Jesus into our heart, whether that's accurate or not, I don't know. But this concept of asking him into our heart at least helps us try to understand what this grand theological concept of union with Christ really is and what that means. We step into this door. We step into Christ. And again, he is reminding us, if anyone does this, he will be saved. Step into, you will be saved. It is, it is the beauty of the fact that he reminds us that this is for anyone. It is not climb the ladder, do enough good things in order to be saved. It's not if, if you don't have any addictions or if you don't have any past that is of a certain level, and if you've just stayed away from enough things and good enough and clean enough, then you're welcome to come into the door. It's not if you do enough good things that outweigh your bad things, right? (laughs) It's not any of that. The whole point is none of us belong and are welcome across that door. None of you have the username and password to get into that door, okay? You don't know. All you know is I don't know everything, but I do know Jesus. And he's like, that's me. Do you look me in the eyes? Believe in me. Come on in to the kingdom of God. You are welcome. (laughs) That's the idea. And some of us, well, I'm not super smart. I don't know all these big words. I don't know all this stuff. And you don't know what my past has been, what I have been through, what people have done to me, what I have done to others. I don't know those things, but Jesus does. And he still says to you, anyone. (laughs) 
He doesn't say everybody over here and not you people. He says anyone who would come to Jesus will find salvation. It's the beautiful, inclusive nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the door. By him and him alone, there will be salvation exclusive through him. Acts 4.12 says that there is salvation. Peter is preaching this, Peter and John, and he says there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men which whereby we must be saved. And that irks us internally. It is challenging. It is a hard pill to swallow. Jesus later on will even further explain that in the coming weeks when he says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And so he is the one, the shepherd, going out across the globe, calling people to himself and saving the world. And so, what is it though? Look at verse nine. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And what? And what? I will, he will go in and out and find pasture. This idea of going in and out is a phrase used in the Old and the New, the Old Testament and the New with this idea of he will take care of all of my goings and comings. Have you heard of that? When I go out and I come in, it's the picture of safety and peace. The fact that you have freedom to go in and out as you please. It's kind of like my kids playing in the summertime at home on a nice quiet street and there's no fears and it's beautiful weather. They run around like crazy, right? They go outside and they come inside. They leave the door open and the flies come in, right? You guys ever have that problem? But why? They're free. They're a child. There's not a care in the world. Do you remember what that was like? That was pretty awesome, right? You know? Living like a kid in New Hampshire, running around, no cares in the world. You go in and out. There's safety. Mom will always get you a snack or food if you need, right? You know, all these kinds of things, right? Why? Because there's just freedom. There's peace. You can go in and out. And what does it say? As you go in and out, you'll find pasture. You'll find what you need. He makes me lie down by green pastures. He satisfies my soul. You had each your full. Do you remember that feeling of Thanksgiving? After the Thanksgiving meal, <laughs> what do you have? Fullness. Okay, some of you like too much, okay? So give it some time. After your little nap, there's a sense of fullness, right? And some of you are like, well, I'm working in the kitchen. All these days. Okay, well, imagine you have a sense of not a care in the world. Your belly is full. There's a sense of absolute peace. That's a beautiful thing. A wonderful thing. There's fullness. There is more than enough. There is so much. It is the, the feeding of the 5,000. The baskets are full. There is more to go around and plenty beyond that. There is all that you need. It is the manna in the wilderness. Collect what you need for that day. Don't need to store it up because there's going to be more for tomorrow. You have all you need in Christ is what he's trying to describe to you. Go in and out and find pasture. You will have it. Now, remember, the thieves are out there. And he again reminds us in verse 10. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Before he spoke largely as groups, thieves and robbers. Now he says, the thief. And I can only imagine who he's talking about. As he speaks to the devil and to the satanic work seeking to destroy you. First Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded people. Don't go to sleep. Why? Be watchful for your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Matthew 7, 15, beware false prophets who come to you in sheep clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. And you notice in that passage in Matthew 7, 15, beware of ravenous wolves. 
the verse right before it says, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those are few that are find it. There's a way that leads to salvation. It is narrow, yes, but it is there. So be careful. The next verse, he says, beware of wolves who try to lead you and steal you and kill you and destroy your life and to lead you astray. Make sure you know the shepherd's voice. Don't listen to the stranger and run from the thief and run to the arms of the shepherd for he is the door that opens your way to safety and helps you lead that safety into the pasture to find life. And it is not a normal life. It is abundant life. Isn't that what he says? This is the end of verse 10. I came that they may have life and they may have it abundantly. Abundant life. I love to, I've been thinking through that phrase. What is abundant life this week? I came that they may have life. Great, awesome. But not just life, not just breath in your lungs, just enough to get up the next day, but abundant life. And what does living in abundance truly mean? I could say in some ways, maybe, as a pastor often does, this is what it is and this is what it is not. I'll tell you many things that it could be, but I know one thing that it's probably not. It's not just more stuff, right? (laughs) The more stuff you, because you guys know life, right? The more you get and the more stuff you have, the more satisfied you are, right? Isn't that, what did you learn in church? Get more stuff because the person at the end of life who has the most toys wins, right? Isn't that how this works? So we were like, "Uh, this is weird. No, that's not the truth. Because you know what that's like. The cotton candy illustration that devolves in water. The more you get, the more things you think you need. The abundance of toys, the abundance of cars and wealth and all of the things the world can provide to you. Yes, many of those are used as tools to serve and bless and enjoy as you should. Enjoy the life God has given you. But acquiring more and hoarding more is not the abundant life that Jesus Christ is offering you. That's the abundant life all the thieves and robbers are saying you should search for. It is not the kind of life that we can define for ourselves saying, well, once I get this level of abundant life, that's the abundant living. So many people will sell that to you on the TV or the radio or whatever YouTube it is. This is a level you need to pursue for if you do that, you will get more and more. That is abundant living. The abundant life is not about a status of acquiring or an achievement that you need to meet in order to finally be satisfied and happy because it will constantly lead you down the path that Solomon would say. That's the great and wise Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanities, right? It is as if you are chasing after the wind. And when you think you're about to capture that abundant life, your arms go right through it and you found you've caught nothing. So it is no way, it is, it is no surprise that, that Jesus cannot be leading us to an abundant life of more stuff, right? The abundant life is more about a state of mind and a state of being with someone else than it is about a certain status of what you have. Abundant life, I think, is found by entering the door of Jesus Christ, by being at peace in the sheepfold that he provides for you and following him wherever he may lead because he is going to meet every need you have. This is truly the abundant life. The abundance he provides is by caring for all your needs, supplying you with all that you need. And you can cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He will supply you from his endless storehouses of joy and peace and rest and supply and and satisfaction and salvation. It's the life that a sheep lives, living in the arms of a good shepherd. 
Billy Graham put it this way, that the abundant life is life with a capital L. You heard that before? And I think at times it's hard to, to recognize the reality that you can live and have the abundant life. It's right in front of you. Because at times it's so easy to be chasing the wind all the time that leaves us unsatisfied. But if only I had a little bit more, if only this hadn't happened, then I'd be happy. Jesus is saying, I'm offering you an abundant life right here. It's right in front of you. There are moments, though, when you taste the bliss of heaven. You taste a moment where you recognize just for a second, this aspect of contentment and peace in Jesus Christ is all that I need. I, there are times, I think, when God kind of shows that to us and reminds us that that's really what we're all about. Even the other day, I can, I can picture the feeling. I can feel it even now. If as, I, as the other day, I was sitting at home and watching my kids play outside in the summer air. You know, like yesterday, weather beautiful. Today, weather's supposed to be awesome. We need more of this, more of this abundant weather, right? How about that? But this sense of I'm watching my kids play in the yard, and I just get lost, almost just... You forget your anxieties and the stress of life and the things that are pressuring you and burdening you. And I see my son going to try to tackle my daughter and wrestle in the grass. And as my other daughter is chasing a butterfly, right? And you watch them in their absolute childlike bliss of summer existence without a care in the world. And you lose yourself for just a moment. And there is a feeling of absolute 100% contentment. Have you ever felt that? Am I describing something that there's a sense of you just forget everything else and you remember God is amazingly good. I don't have any other needs. There, there is not necessarily that, but it's just a reminder of the good shepherd. Psalm 23, 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The, the idea is I, I shall not have other lacks I don't have things that I lack. There is no want, for he supplies all my needs. And you say, well, Jordan, what about this? What about, Pastor, but, but you don't know about that. And you're right. There are these things that are missing, these things that have been taken. There is a loss. There is still a world in which is challenging and painful to live in, yes. But when we find that eternal satisfaction and salvation to the person of Jesus Christ is yours, and salvation is now yours, you become an heir with God, and there is, there is eternal life presented to him. What other need do you have? Right? It's this aspect that, that Paul talks about. He gives the secret Paul speaks of this idea, the abundant life, I believe, he says in Philippians 4. And he, he reveals to you the secret of life. It's kind of cool. Like, ooh, secret of life. He reveals to you about the secret of abundant living. It is not about getting more or having more than your neighbor. The abundant life is about entering the door of Jesus Christ and living as a sheep in his sheepfold. And it comes by being content with that place and following him as a sheep. And look at this. He says this in Philippians 4.11. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. In whatever situation I am to be content. And, and Paul went through some tough stuff. He was stoned. He was attacked. He was brutally stoned. He was shipwrecked. He endured persecutions and beatings. And he says, I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. Isn't that our word, abundance? I know how to have a lot. In any and every circumstance, Paul says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty 
and facing hunger, facing abundance and facing need. And this is the famous verse. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. How can he do all things through Christ, having a lot or a little, feeling good or feeling bad? How is it that he can do all things? Because Christ is his strength. How is it that you can face whatever you have to face this week? Because Christ is your good shepherd. You are following him and he will care for you. For the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down beside still waters. He leads me to green pastures. This is the life and the abundant life of one who follows the good shepherd. Abundant life comes to the door of Jesus Christ and following him as your good shepherd. This abundant life is not possible unless you follow him through that door though. It is opened up to you, to anyone. It is like the feeling that we all must get to, that declaration of intent that we all must have. Your willingness to say, I do. I think the the pressure comes upon you then today. Do you say, I do? Will you enter that door of marriage, you could say, with that shepherd? As Christ's love for the church expresses itself also in his love for the sheep, that he'll leave the 99 and run after the lost and bring them back and he will rejoice. It actually says all of heaven rejoices when that one is returned to the fold. Maybe that's you today. And maybe for the first time, some of you are hearing the shepherd's voice for the first time. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. They will follow me and I will give them eternal life and they will never perish, John 10, 27 and 28. And the word says that no one will snatch them out of my hand. You are secure, you are protected, you are assured of your life that is found within the hands of that good shepherd. Walk through that door, be welcomed by the good shepherd, and no one, no one will be able to snatch you out of his hand. Let's close in prayer. Father, we come before you today. We need you as our shepherd. I pray, God, you would confirm in the hearts of who believe today that they hear your voice in those, Lord, who are still searching and hungry. They're wandering and lost. Call them, Lord, today. Help them to call out to you, saying, Lord, rescue me, save me. As a sinner, as a sheep who has wandered, I am coming back to you today as he scoops us up, Lord, help to rescue. God, we pray these things to you, knowing, God, that you are our door of salvation. You are our way of escape, and we are so grateful for your love that you have for us, the love that you have for every single person here. God, thank you for that. God, we come to you. We need you. We're gonna sing to you today, Lord. We're gonna close with praising your name. And God, we thank you that you are holy. There is no one like you. You are singular and alone, and you are this distinct God that we follow and worship. Thank you, God, for that. We come before you today in the name of Jesus Christ.